it has been a joy and a privilege to spend this this part of the weekend with you. It's been wonderful to get to know you and spend some time with you. And I do have one thing that's like just stuck in my mind that I need to communicate. Um, and I don't remember who it was, but on the f- last night when we were doing that game and we were kind of split in the room, like the overwhelming majority of you said you'd rather be in the country. But there were a few of you that said you like the city. If you're interested in helping us plant a church in the city of San Jose, um, would love to talk with you about that at any point in time. Remember, we are in partnership with Crossway Church. We are planting a Trinity Fellowship Church in the city of San Jose, the 10th largest city in the United States, in one of the most under-gospelized and under-churched areas of the world. I would argue that Silicon Valley is at the present moment not only one of the most influential areas in the U.S., but one of the most influential areas in the entire world. What happens in the Silicon Valley is trickling out to all the cracks and crevices of the globe. It's the world of Tesla and Google and Facebook and Apple and a thousand startups. You'd never remember their names, but people go there to succeed. And when they succeed, they realize that that money doesn't bring them the satisfaction that every human being is looking for. And then when they don't succeed and they fail and they're questioning life, Um, Christians need to be there to give them the hope of Jesus. And so one of the reasons why our family is moving 3,000 miles across the U.S. after planting churches in Philadelphia for 20 years is because we believe that the Bay Area from San Francisco to Oakland down to San Jose is in desperate need of more New Testament churches. And so if you would be interested, the city folks, in uh, coming and helping us do some of that, I know your pastors would be fine with me saying what I'm about to say because we'd love to be in this together. In fact, I'm not sure, it's probably going to happen in the fall, but Pete let me know that we're going to have a chance to come and preach to the church again and let the whole church know about what we're doing in the Silicon Valley. So you, you pray. Um, some of you, I mean, I, some of you are young and vibrant and don't know what you're going to be doing with the rest of your lives. And I heard about a group of you that even this last year went away to a Bible college in Montana because, hey, we got a year to, what should we do this year? Let's go learn more about God's word and be disciple. That's awesome. Um, why not spend the next couple of years of your life helping plant a church in a big city? Um, or continue to plug into your own local church here at Crossway and continue to help create a, a help continue to build a discipleship culture that makes much of Jesus Christ. And so I love, one of the other reasons I was eager to take the invitation to come here and be with you this weekend is because I love ministering to young adults. Um, when I was your age, I read a psalm and a book that absolutely transformed my life and kind of set me on the trajectory that I've been on for the last 20 years. It was Psalm 90, and it was the verse 12 that says, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Um, I realized that life is short. I don't want to waste it. And then I read John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life. And so between Psalm 90 and Don't Waste Your Life, I was like, I only have one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so that kind of set me on the the missional trajectory that God launched me on, and I don't regret a moment of it. Thankfully, by the grace of God, my wife doesn't regret it, and we have three teenagers who don't regret it, and that's the big win. Um, And so don't waste your life. Use the youth that God's given you. Use your 20-something and your 30-something years to do bold, risky, sacrificial things for Jesus, and you will not regret it. Um, We'll get to rest forever in the new heavens and new earth, so... Um, regardless of how you make it or don't make it in this world according to the world's standards because of Jesus you will get it all in the end and that wasn't even the message I feel like preaching on mission (laughs) that's kind of like my wheelhouse so I kind of love to preach on going with the gospel but I also love to preach on what I've been preaching on this weekend Um, 
And so thank you for this, this theme and giving me the opportunity to enter into it with you. We've been talking about holy ambition, a holy ambition for sat- pursuing satisfaction in God, a holy ambition for pursuing intimacy with God. I hope it's clear. I felt like I kind of gave you a fire hydrant of data this morning from Scripture. But just realize this. You were made for intimacy with God. You've been saved for intimacy with God. And you will one day experience intimacy with God and all of God's people, all the believers who are in this room. You will be in God's presence, in God's perfect place forever. It's going to be awesome. You're made for this. So enjoy this now. Go after this now. And so in this last message I want to preach to you tonight, I want to talk about how we're not only meant for personal intimacy with God, um, we're also meant for corporate, communal intimacy with God. And so I want to talk tonight about pursuing God's presence as the church. And in pursuing God's presence as the church, as a community of believers, something amazing and mysterious and glorious happens in that pursuit. It's something that the Bible calls all. And so would you take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 42 through 47. Tonight we're going to consider a holy pursuit of all in God together. Let's hear God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Direct your attention back to verse 43. And all came upon every soul. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I'm sure you know what it's like to experience all in wonder. It's those moments in your life where after you've had an experience, all you can do in that moment is step back and go, that was awesome. And if you're like me, you have a a mental catalog of those moments in your life where you had those awesome experiences. And for me, they're they're kind of organized by dates. Like October 20th, 1994, it was my senior year in high school, and they were about to demolish an icon, an iconic... um, landmark in our neighborhood called the Sears Roebuck Clock Tower. Now Sears was a place where you everybody went to shop when, when I was a kid and it's where you got your clothes and your tools and your car and your food and your everything. Sears was the place to go. And now it was downsizing. So they were going to demolish this beautiful, gigantic building that kind of acted like a gateway into Northeast Philadelphia as you traveled northbound on the Roosevelt Boulevard. And so me and my buddies, we put on our rollerblades because we played hockey and we skated down to the blast zone on that Sunday morning before church when they were going to implode this building. And so we stood there as close to the blast zone as possible and you could hear the countdown, 10, 9, 8. And when it got to the bottom of the countdown, like in a matter of moments, we watched 9 million bricks just tumble to the ground. That was awesome. (laughs) Or May 19th. 
2001, my wedding day. I mean, I still remember that moment like it was yesterday, even though it was 21 years ago. Uh, Rachel and I decided that because we were going to get our pictures, our, our wedding photos, before the actual wedding ceremony, that we wanted to have a moment where I would see her in her wedding dress for the very first time. And so I was standing in the front of the church auditorium with my back to the doors, and then all of a sudden I heard the doors open, and someone said, she's ready. And I turned around, and there she was. I saw her for the very first time. My gorgeous wife-to-be in her wedding gown. That was awesome. Or how about April 2nd, 2003, September 17th, 2004, and September 18th, 2006, the birthdays of each one of our children. I mean, I still remember holding them in my arms for the very first time. That was awesome. Or here's one you might identify with. December 19th, 2001, the feature, the, the big screen presentation of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring. I still remember seeing what I read for all those years, finally before my very eyes, as Gandalf took his staff and plunged it into the bridge in the minds of Moria and said, you shall not pass. That was awesome. <laughs> or February 3rd, 2018, Philadelphia Eagles won their first Super Bowl. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> or February 29th. 1992, actually was talking about it at dinner tonight. I was at Word of Life Christian Camp for a winter weekend. I was 14 years old. I was born and raised in a rough around the edges Roman Catholic family in inner city Philadelphia. Started going to a youth group on Friday nights where they were reaching out to inner city youth. Someone from the church sponsored to have me go for a winter weekend to Word of Life. And there I heard the gospel preached again. But this time something happened in my heart that hadn't happened any other time I heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit grabbed my heart, convicted me of my sin, and showed me that Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one could come to the Father but by Him. And that night, I became a Christian. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm sure you have your experiences of awesomeness. Well, here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we find a local church that is filled with awe and wonder. We just read in verse 43 that all came upon every soul something was happening in the life of that christian community that made them all step back and go this is awesome what was it and we're going to discover tonight that the reason why this church was filled with awe and wonder is because this church was aware that jesus was among them jesus was among them they knew that jesus was in their midst his presence was tangible. His power was discernible. His grace was palpable. His nearness was detectable. And day by day, they were aware that the Jesus that they once saw with their very own eyes, who is now crucified, risen, and ascended, was right there in their midst, and they could sense it. And so day by day, this church went deeper in their all of Jesus. Because this Christian community went deeper together in their pursuit of Jesus. And that's what's offered to you, my brothers and sisters. Even as a community within the community of Crossway Church, God offers to you awesome experiences of Christ's presence as you pursue his presence together. 
So what I want to show you tonight from this text in Acts chapter 2 is that you will go deeper in your all of Jesus as you go deeper in your pursuit of Jesus. You will go deeper in your all of Jesus as you go deeper in your pursuit of Jesus. You see, this is Jesus' vision not only for the church in the pages of the book of Acts, but this is Jesus' vision for his church until he returns. You see, the book of Acts is not simply a monument to admire, but a model to aspire. This is the way the church should be and what the church should do until Jesus returns at the end of the age and makes all things new. And so Jesus wants you as a Christian community to be aware that he is here in your midst with you. That as you gather together in smaller groups like this, and as you gather together with the church tomorrow morning on the Lord's Day, there in your midst, Jesus is with you. And he wants you to know it. And when you know it, when you sense it, it will fill you with awe. And so you will go deeper in your all of Christ as you go deeper in your pursuit of Christ together. And so let's consider this amazing reality from three angles in this text before us. And let me give you the map ahead of time. We want to look at all defined. Where does, what does it mean to be in all of Jesus? We want to look at all discovered. How do we pursue being in all of Christ? And then we need to be exhorted. Let's consider all denied. What keeps us from being in awe of Christ? First, awe defined. What does it mean that the church was in awe? What does it mean when the text says in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul? The word soul here is talking about the inside of a person. It's talking about the immaterial part of you. Uh, it's the part of us that you can't see, but you can sense. It's dealing with our emotions, our feelings, our intuitions, our perceptions. And so whatever this all is describing, the writer of Acts is saying that every believer in this church discerned in the inmost part of their being that something was happening that God could only be responsible for. The word awe itself is the Greek word phobos. And whenever I share a Greek word or a Hebrew word, it's typically because it sounds like another word that we know. What does the word phobos sound like? Phobia. It's where we get our English word phobia. It literally means to be afraid. And so it's a word that describes a deep emotional sensation that affects the body and the mind. However, in Scripture, depending on its use... It can either be a negative, emotion, a negative emotion like terror or a positive emotion like wonder. Both wonder and terror are on the same spectrum. It's this word, phobos, all. So it's a word that describes two extremes. It can mean, oh no, or oh wow. For example, in the Old Testament, Isaiah had an awe-filled moment in, Acts chapter, in um, Isaiah chapter 6, where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon his throne, high and lifted up, and the cherubim, and, and, and his glory filled the temple. And the cherubim, each having six wings, with two they covered their eyes, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they cried out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
And when Isaiah found himself in the presence of God's holiness, what was his response? Oh no! Woe is me! For I am undone! Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King. And so he has this, this, this scene where he sees the glory of God, and he realizes sinfulness, and he has this terrifying moment. I don't belong here. Oh, no. And it's not until the angel comes and takes the coal of fire from the altar and places it upon his lips and reminds him that his sins have been forgiven and his sins have been atoned for by the mercy of God that that oh no moment translates into an oh wow moment. Here, my Lord, send me. It's the experience of the disciples in the New Testament Gospels where the disciples are in the midst of a storm with Jesus, and he's taking a nap in the bottom of the boat, and they think they're going to die. Now, let me just tell you something. If you read the Gospels, if I were the disciples, I would think twice about ever getting in a boat with Jesus. I mean, every time they get in a boat, something crazy happens. And so here they are in a boat. Once again, something crazy happens. They think they're going to die, and Jesus comes up, and he looks over the, the, the stern of the boat, and he goes, Peace, shh, be still. All of a sudden, the rain stops pouring, and the wind stops howling, and the waves stop sloshing. And what did the disciples do? They're in awe. They go, oh, wow. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? That's all. The word translated all captures the sentiments of, oh, no, oh, wow, and just about everything in between. And so whether it's oh no or oh wow, whether it's terror or wonder, the common denominator is that all is what happens in the soul when people are aware that God is near. All is what happens in the soul when people encounter the presence of God. Those who are in all of God are always those in Scripture who are aware that God is not just out there Somewhere, God is right here, right now, among us. So when we read in verse 43, And all came upon every soul. What this means is that everybody in this church could sense that God was right there in their midst. And they could sense it. Even though they could not see Christ with their eyes, they could sense Christ in their soul. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Acts, makes the following observation about where this all came from. He said, quote, God had visited their city. He was in their midst, and they knew it. They couldn't see him with their eyes any longer. But they knew that the things that were happening around them and among them and in them and through them could only mean one thing. That the Christ who died and the Christ who rose and the Christ who ascended in some mysterious way was still there with them. He was still there. And they knew it. God was in their midst and they could sense it. And this might be some uncomfortable language for you, and I, I, hope we get even, I hope we get comfortable with biblical language and biblical experience, regardless of our backgrounds and, and, our, and, our, and our stories, but they could feel God. They could sense God. They could apprehend God. They, they felt God's nearness in their souls. That's all 
All is not a concept or a principle or a precept. All is an experience. A skipping of the heart in response to the person and presence of Christ. And so for this church in Jerusalem, for this church, for this Christian community, as they gather together day by day, their common experience was they could sense that Jesus was among them. That when Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in his name, he's right there in their midst and he meant it. That even though he was ascended, when he said, I will be with you always to the end of the age, he meant it. F.F. Bruce, New Testament scholar notes, there was an enduring sense of all inspired by the consciousness that God was at work in their midst. It's also worth noting here, as we're looking at a definition of all, and what did it mean that all came upon every soul? It's that phrase, came upon them. Important phrase. This means that, that all is a passive experience. What do I mean by that? In other words, they didn't choose to be in all. They didn't make all happen. They didn't decide to be in all. They didn't conjure it up. They didn't work up their emotions. They, all is what happens when Christ reveals himself to his people. So all is not something that we manufacture. It's not about getting the lighting right and the music right and the vibe right and the feeling right and, the, and in certain liturgies, the smells and the bells, you know? the candles and the lighting and getting everything feeling like, okay, we're in a mysterious moment and God is here with us. No, no, no. We don't make all happen. All is passive. All comes upon us, meaning this, God makes all happen. Which means if God makes all happen, then realize this, God wants us to be in all of Him. God wants us to be aware of Him. God wants us to know that he's here among us. And so we can say that because all is a passive experience, because God makes all happen, then then God wants us to sense him, to feel him, to to experience him, and be deeply in wonder of him. Now, based upon your church tradition, if you're a newer Christian, this, this doesn't really apply, but if you grew up in the church, you, you, you may come from one of two extremes that makes this hard to, to receive. Maybe you grew up in more of a, of a Pentecostal kind of, kind of context where everything is about the feeling. Everything is about the emotion. Everything is about, did we, did we, did we, did we really enter into worship today? So there's one extreme where emotions become God. Experience becomes the Savior. And there's one extreme. And then the other extreme would be more from the, from the liturgical, reformed, frozen, chosen kind of context. Where if you experience any kind of emotion, exhibit any kind of emotion, it's not reverent. And so between these two extremes is the truth. That Christ is with us 
and he wants us to sense his presence. God subjectively wants us to know that even though we can't see him with our eyes, we can sense him in our souls. Jesus was clear on this point. He wants us to know that he's with us. Last words are important. And so as Jesus is giving his last words at the end of Matthew's gospel, I already mentioned it a few moments ago, but it's worth repeating. He gives this great commission. He says, go and make disciples everywhere among the nations. Teach them to follow me and teach them to publicly identify with me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I commanded. And you can imagine just your knees buckling under that task. From the very mouth of Jesus, post-resurrection, I mean, they can see the, the, the nail prints in his hands. And he's saying, go and make disciples of the nations and baptize them and teach them. And you can imagine the disciples even, well, wait a minute, wait. That's the stuff you did when you were on the earth. We can't do that. You got to do that, Jesus. No, you do it. How in the world can I do that? I am with you always. Even to the end of the you got a big job. You have a great responsibility. But here's what Jesus is saying. This is so huge. You're not alone. I'm going to go with you. And, and it might be a head-scratcher for you. Okay. How could Jesus say, I will be with you always to the end of the age if Jesus knew in just a few days he would be ascending to the right hand of the Father and we're still waiting for him to come back? So what did Jesus mean? I am with you always. The answer is that even though Jesus has left us in one sense, he is still very much with us in another sense. How do we know this? There's a section of John's gospel that's called the final discourse. And in the final discourse, which is John 14 through John 17, Jesus is giving his, his, final, his final pre-crucifixion teaching to his 12 apostles. And he wants them to know that even though he's leaving, he will be returning. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, you will be also. So he says, I'm leaving. Don't worry, I will return. But in between the time of my leaving and my returning, I'm not going to leave you alone. And what's he say? In John 14, 16 through 18, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who's that? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. How? Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in between the time of Jesus' ascension and return, the way we encounter the presence of Jesus is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is why the, the, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.24, And by this we know 
that he, that's Jesus, abides in us by the spirit who he has given to us. This is how we know, again, that word I told you about this morning, epigenosco, intimacy, experience of relationship, not just head knowledge, but ex relational experience. By this we know, experience, sense, feel that he, Jesus, is with us by the Spirit who he has given to us. Meaning that one of the primary reasons the Holy Spirit has been given to us after the ascension of Jesus is to give every single disciple of Jesus a means of knowing that Jesus is with us to the end. One of the primary reasons the Holy Spirit has been given to every disciple is so that we can know, sense, feel, and experience the presence of Jesus until he returns. So Jesus doesn't want us to be alone. Jesus doesn't want you to be alone. And one of the ways you know you're not alone is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So this is where the all was coming from. The church in Acts is experiencing the nearness of the ascended Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the big takeaway for us. We can experience the nearness of Jesus right now through the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who mediates the presence of Christ as we wait for the return. This is why Paul would refer to the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 as the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit who opened your eyes to see your need of Jesus in the first place. Your heart was dead and it was awakened to life because the Spirit took your dead heart and made it alive so that the eyes of your soul could see that you were a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. And that those blind eyes that once did not understand or comprehend the significance of Jesus living for you and dying for you and rising for you. Now we're, we're bright-eyed and, and looking to Christ in faith and hope and trust. The Spirit did that. That moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that, that time in which you would identify as, I became a Christian, you didn't come up with that on your own. The Spirit of God gave you faith in Christ. And it's the same Spirit who brought you to Jesus in the first place. Who continues to work in you as he dwells in you to know that Jesus is with you to the end. That's good news, guys. That's good news. You're not alone. And so all are those moments. It's not all the time. I can't even give you any text of scripture that says how frequently we should expect it. But those times when you sense that Christ is with you, those moments where you realize that you're not alone and God is in your midst, you know who's doing that? The Spirit of God. So Jesus is not just with us in theory. Jesus is with us in reality. When you come together as Christian brothers and sisters in fellowship like this, and when you gather with the church on the Lord's Day, and when you meet together in small groups, and you fellowship together, even informally as friends in Christ, the Spirit of God is with you to mediate the presence of Christ. And there are times where He makes you aware of it. 
And when you are aware of it, you know what that's called? It's called awe. That's <clears throat> awe defined. All is the effect of God on the souls of those who are aware of Christ's presence through the Holy Spirit. Second, let's look at all discovered. And I promise the first point was the longest point. <laughs> How do we pursue being in all of Christ? Now, all came upon every soul. But, but what were the circumstances? What, what was going on in the life of these Christians when all came upon every soul? In other words, is there a way in which we can say when Christians get together and they do this, those are, the, those are the normal conditions under which God makes his presence known? I believe the answer is yes. We have to see the way verses 42 and 43 relate. Look back in your Bible at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. So here's the connection we're supposed to make. As these Christians came together and they pursued the teaching of the apostles, as they pursued fellowship by gathering in large groups at the temple and in smaller groups in their homes, as they pursued the breaking of the bread, which is the Lord's Supper, as they pursued God in humble, dependent prayer. It was through pursuing Christ, through these ordinary means of grace, as we call them, that all came upon every soul. In other words, the word, fellowship, sacrament, and prayer were the means through which these Christians experienced the presence of Christ. And they were subsequently filled with an ever-deepening awe that Jesus was with them. So as the gospel was preached by the apostles, as the Bible was read in their corporate gatherings, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they fellowshiped together, ministering to one another in love, as they extended mutual care and compassion towards one another, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they broke the bread and drank the cup, partaking in the Lord's Supper as he instructed at the Last Supper, they experienced the nearness of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. As they prayed together, pouring out their hearts to God for provision and protection and guidance and boldness and miracles, they experienced the nearness of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as the text goes on, as they praised God together and ate meals together with glad and generous hearts, as they, as they served the neighborhood in love, in word and deed, as, as the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved, they, they experienced the presence of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the point. I think you got it. The way, the way we discover awe and wonder the way we position ourselves for all to come upon us by the sovereign mercy of God is to pursue the means through which Christ makes his presence known. The word, fellowship, sacrament, prayer, praise, charity, evangelism. It's when we pursue the ordinary means of grace that are referenced in this text as we pursue those ordinary means 
we are positioning ourselves to experience the extraordinary presence of Christ by the Spirit. So do you want to be filled with all? Do you want to know that Christ is with you? Do you want to detect his nearness? How do you experience that? How do you position yourself for God to have mercy and allow you to know that he's near? Pursue the means through which he promises to meet you. If you want to experience the presence of Christ, my friends, you must seek him in his word. When you go after Christ in the word, the Holy Spirit will meet you there. If you want to experience the presence of Christ, you must seek him in prayer. And when you start speaking to God the Father in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit will meet you there. If you want to experience the presence of Christ, you must seek him in fellowship with other disciples like you're doing right here. I'm preaching to the choir. You value being together. That's why you're here on this retreat. And as you come together in fellowship and share your hearts and share your lives and share your blessings and share your burdens and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, it's there in the midst of sharing life together in Christ that God meets you there through the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you want to experience the presence of Christ, you must seek Him in praise. When you lift up your voices to sing, even when you have a wretched voice like me, Sing it loud in praise of God because He meets you there. He dwells in the praises of His people. If you want your neighborhood, your co-workers, your classmates to experience the presence of Christ, you must be there to share God's word with them, to pray with them, to use your gifts to minister to them, to be charitable with them. And guess what often happens? The Holy Spirit will meet you there. If you seek him, you will find him if you search with all your heart. So even though there's a mystery to the presence of God, even though we can't pull, pull strings and turn switches to make God appear, and we can't make all happen, we know the normal conditions upon which God makes us aware that he's there. It's when we pursue the ordinary means of grace as the Christian community, and as we seek Him together in the Word, in prayer, in fellowship, in sacrament, in song, in, in, in ministry, it's there that God lets us know that He's with us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And very often, that will lead us to awe and wonder. Finally, all denied. What keeps us from being in awe of Christ? It's very simple. It's actually implied in what I've just said a few moments ago. It's when we don't pursue the means of grace. Lack of pursuit. When you don't experience all and wonder in your life, it's most likely because you're not seeking the means of grace through which Christ makes his presence known. Whether in private fellowship or in public worship, you won't find yourself in all of Christ where there is very little lack of pursuit. When you sit down and read God's word, pray and go into those moments with the heart of Moses. Show me your glory. When's the last time you prayed something like that? God, show me your glory. When's the last time you had the heart of Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. 
So when we come together in fellowship, when we come together in corporate worship, we must not come together passively. We must come together active. Not as spectators, but as participants who are pursuing Christ together through the means of grace. And your greatest privilege as a child of God, your greatest privilege as the church of Jesus Christ is access to the presence of God. It's your great privilege. But you know as well as I do, it's one thing to have a privilege. It's another thing to take advantage of a privilege. I remember one Christmas, many years ago now, um, my personal assistant, who was a pastor in training, um, got me a really cool gift for Christmas. It was a Starbucks travel mug. And this was not just an ordinary Starbucks travel mug. It was a Starbucks travel mug that had a card inside it. And inside the card, you pulled it out and it said, eligible for one free espresso drink every day in the month of January. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, so that's like 31 days of caramel macchiatos for this guy. Right? And so this was an amazing gift, a, a gift with a privilege, a gift that made me eligible for access to one of whatever beverage of my choice at one of my favorite coffee shops at that time. Um, now there's so many cool little boutique coffee shops that it's, anyway. Um, it was one thing to have that gift. It was another thing to take advantage of the gift. So when I woke up on January 1st, guess what didn't happen? A barista didn't appear at my door and say, what would you like to drink? <laughs> no, I had to take that mug, get in my car, drive over the go drive over to Starbucks and say, "Caramel macchiato, please." And when they saw the mug, they knew I had the privilege, and they would fill it. And the next day, I would do the same. And the next day, I would do the same. But if I didn't go and get it, I would not enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's the very same thing with our access to the presence of God. And how we experience his presence in relationship to the means of grace. God makes his presence available to us. He lets us know that he's with us. And and we are invited to enjoy this privilege as we seek him. One of the most heavy warnings in Proverbs for a guy like me who has some really strong desires... It's Proverbs 13, 4, where it says, The soul of the sluggard desires, but has nothing. The soul of the sluggard desires, but has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be richly blessed. It's not enough just to want it. you got to go for it. It's not enough to just say, yes, I have this great privilege of access to the presence of God and I can draw near to God and he will draw near to me and I can be as close to God as I choose to be because of what Christ has provided for me through his life, death, and resurrection. I have all this access and all this privilege. It's one thing to want it. It's another thing, guys, to go after it. So very often the reason why there's not much awe of Christ's presence in our life is because there's little pursuit of Christ's presence in our life. If you want a little book that will bless your soul in relationship to the theme we've been discovering, this looking at this weekend, it's The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Anybody read that? Phenomenal little book. 
And he talks about the difference between God's omnipresence, that he's at all places at all times in his entire being. That's just, that's God's character. He's always there. There's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. Meaning there, there, there are moments where God lets us know that he's always there. And there's a difference between him being there and us knowing that he's there or experiencing that he's there. And it's on this subject he says the following. The presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God. For his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him, God will manifest himself to us. So within the economy of God's grace, there are conditional promises. If we seek him, then he will reveal himself to us. So how do we cooperate with him? We pursue him. We go after him. We pursue Christ through the means of word and prayer and sacrament and fellowship. Not only on our own, but together as the church. My brothers and sisters, you will only go deeper in your all of Jesus as you go deeper in your pursuit of Jesus. And one of the reasons why God has given you to one another one of the reasons why you are in fellowship with one another, one of the reasons why you are a part of Crossway Church is so that together you would keep each other accountable and hopeful in this glorious, holy pursuit. And so when one is struggling to pursue, the others are encouraging them along. When one is, when, when one is in, in hot pursuit, they're calling others to come along with them. So you're here with one another at different places right now in your experience of Christ's presence, at different places in your faith for, for sensing and detecting his presence. And the good news is the Lord wants to use you in one another's lives to help you pursue the presence of Christ and to go deeper in your awe and wonder that he's with you now and he will be to the end. So by God's grace, would you all be renewed in your desire for more of his presence? By his grace, would you surrender to pursue more of his presence? And by his grace, may it result in fresh encounters of his presence that move you to an even deeper awe and wonder that there is no one like Jesus. <laughs>